One of my goals with the Secret Podcast is to make the supernatural more natural and the paranormal more normal. These are events and occurrences that happen as a part of our natural and normal everyday lives. We've just been conditioned to ignore them and deny their existence. Well, it's time to undo that conditioning. I'm proud to announce that Ray Davis and I of Sixth Sense Media have created our own Sixth Sense Media clothing line. We can't always go up to somebody and say, hey, what do you think about disclosure and UFOs and aliens on the earth? But you can wear one of our Disclosure Now t-shirts and get people's attention. Start the conversation or connect with another like-minded person who sees your shirt. If you're a truth seeker or someone looking to enact positive change in the world, why not wear it with pride? Connect with other like-minded truth seekers and become the change you want to be and see in this world. Visit SixthSenseMedia.net, click on the store tab, and become the change you were born to inspire. Visit SixthSenseMedia.net, click on the store. Welcome to Truth Seekers. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. But there's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Secret Podcast with Sixth Sense Media. It's the show that challenges reality, questions that which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a new direction of thought to bring about change making the paranormal feel quite normal and the supernatural quite natural. And that's exactly what we aim to do on this week's episode of The Secret Podcast. I have a very special guest and my dear friend, Ray Davis, author of Anunnaki Awakening, founder of The Affirmation Spot, and just a fantastic person to speak with and listen to. I have him on the air right now. I'm going to bring him on in a second. He's going to go through the whole show with me tonight. Uh, as we go through the news, we talk about anything that comes up. We were just having a pre-show conference, and uh, I think that pre-show conference could have been an entire show. It's been about an hour now since we've been on the on the uh, on the phone. We decided let's start recording the show. So let me bring Ray on. Ray, how are you, buddy? Doing great, Dennis. How are you? I'm outstanding. I was just uh, telling the audience we we really got going there in our in our little pre-show discussion, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> we did. We were all over the place. We we tend to do that when we get on the phone anyway. So I think our uh, our listeners are in for a real treat as always. So what's uh what's going on in your world, Ray? What's uh what can you share with us right now? As as I think some people who follow me know, um, you know, April and I are getting ready to move back across the country to Kansas. We've had our four years here in Massachusetts that have been, you know, just beyond fantastic. We love it here, but um you know, we've had uh, two grandkids since we moved here and a third one on the way, and that just kind of became too much gravity for us to be 1,500 miles away. So we are, uh, at the end of this month, uh, getting in a car, driving three days back to Kansas and, and moving back there. So that's kind of the big thing going on right now. Um, you know, with me, as far as my, my platform, my work that I've been doing, um, you know, the book has been a little bit on hold. I know much to the chagrin of some folks are waiting for book two, um, but I have been really... Um, diligent on this uh, 365 days to a better you vlog I've been doing. I just did day 158 today, so it's 158th straight day that I have blogged something, um, hopefully insightful, motivational, uh, or, you know, helping you to better your life in some way. So that's kind of been the goal of that. So 
really proud I've been able to accomplish that. I've never blogged for anywhere near that many days in a row. And hopefully some people are starting to get some benefit from it. And I'm really seeing some some good results as far as more people following the blog, sharing the blog. And so that's been um, very positive. You know, Ray, I, I love what you're doing with that. And first of all, congratulations on uh, the third grandchild on the way as well. I think that's uh, that's fantastic. And and uh, I think it's great you're moving. I guess you can no longer say we're not in Kansas anymore as you're, as you're heading back there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that line will go away now. So. Uh, although often with the content we cover, it feels like we're not in Kansas anymore. So you'll probably still be able to say that. It'll still work for you. But This is true metaphorically. Absolutely. So, you know, your, your affirmations, uh, I mean, it, it's fantastic. You know, I see the Twitter alerts coming up. I've covered a couple of them on the show, you know, and, and they, they seem to hit me right when I, I need them, uh, just picking me up and, and reminding me. And I was saying a couple of weeks ago, you know, I'm always trying to encourage people to listen to them with the content that we cover on Six Sense Media and here on the podcast, it's heavy stuff, and it's it can be scary stuff, it can be dark stuff, and we don't try to spread fear here, but there's things that come up that they can really bring you down, and I think it's important to flush that out of your system and give yourself every single day something positive, and you offer that in, I think, easily consumable uh, amounts daily, uh, and I'm excited that you've done it, I'm proud of you, and, and I think it's a wonderful thing. Uh, and I hope more people check it out. Where, can they find that at the Affirmation Spot? What's that website? Um, well, yeah, you, there's two ways you can probably find it. One is to go to my blog directly, which has a, a weird URL. It's actually affirmationspot.me, like me. Okay. Um, but you can also go to affirmationspot.net, and if you click on 365 days up in the top banner, that will take you to the feed for the, for the 365 days on the blog. And I think we have a link at, at sixcentsmedia.net. Yes, as well, don't we do. On the there's a banner mm-hmm. or something that says it. Um, so definitely, definitely check it out, and you know, subscribe to to Ray on Twitter as well. You get the alerts on your phone, uh, and it's all over Facebook as well. Uh, are, are, they're not all video blo- blogs, but you do the video blogs as well, correct? You, you've done some of those. Yeah, I've done a few for that blog. Not not so many. Um, I am also working on my YouTube channel, and I've done um, probably this year. I don't know. In the in the last year, probably about forty or fifty videos. Some of them are like little daily motivational things, and then other ones are actually like pre-recorded um, affirmations that you can listen to, like while you sleep or you work or something like that, to kind of help you uh, with a particular area of your life. I try to focus on a particular area of your life. So if you listen to it kind of over and over again, hopefully it's going to infuse your mind with with positive ideas on how you can uh, achieve that goal. You know, I, I was um, you, you and I were talking before the show. I tell you, I've been up and down with just uh, depression and, and stress and, and frustration. And and I found as I went into heavily months ago, I was really into Tony Robbins, like around Christmas time. And he really, it really up- uplifted me. And now I'm, I'm, I just finished a book by uh, Dean Graz- Graziosi, Graziola, uh, Graziosi, I think is his mm-hmm. name. He's a, you know, a compatriot of Tony Robbins. And I realized even though we're studying this stuff and we want to know this stuff, if you want to just better your life, there's steps you can take, there's things you can do, and, and a big part of that is those that self-talk. What are you telling yourself? Do you believe in yourself? Are you are you optimistic about things, or are you constantly putting yourself down? And you can reprogram your thought process, and, and I think a great way to do that is listening, not just listening to your affirmations, but letting them resonate through you repeating them, writing them down, saying them over and over again until it becomes your mantra. I can do this. I can do anything. 
and you start to believe it because you sit there and you reach a challenge and you say, your normal self goes, oh, this is going to be a headache. You know, this is really going to suck. And instead you say, I can do anything. And you, you just suck it up and you do it. And you're like, wow, that felt really good. It works. So I think it does can- work. And what a lot of people don't realize is, is we got those negative mindsets the same way at some point. You know, either, either we did that self-talk to ourselves and probably it was because we absorbed it from people around us, you know, that were negative and didn't have a very positive view towards life. And, you know, it always is going to go wrong and, and that sort of thing. And, and we, you know, as children kind of picked up that stuff. And we, I also think there's, there's something to be said, and there's been some research even on this, that the human default setting is kind of negative. It's kind of tilted negative. Most people do not get up and blow sunshine out there, you know, <laughs> out, out there wazoo every day, you know, but it's, it's, um, it's something you have to work at for most of us. And, and so you really do have to kind of change it, but, but it's amazing that you can, um, by, by consciously infusing your mind with better thoughts, um, you really can change your outlook, also your results in life as compared with being negative. I always, I always like to say that, you know, people say, well, positive thinking, you know, that it doesn't always work. And it's like, it's true. You know, it's not like an ATM, right? but I guarantee you this negative thinking does always work. Yeah. If you think negatively, things go south. I mean, you think about a day when you get up and go, Oh, today it's going to be awful. You know, and guess what? If, if, if you start seeing examples of why it's going to be awful right away, whereas if you get up and look at the, you know, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, there's something good going on. It's amazing that you can pick out the good things that are happening. And, and it's all about what you're taking into your consciousness is really helping to inform um, the mood you're in and the motivation you have to move forward. I'm I'm finally starting to understand. Uh, I heard somebody say happiness is a choice. Um, and it's easier said than done when you're in that lowly state. But I, I, I you know, I was down. I was like a couple months ago, I was, just, I was really down. And I said, I don't want to feel this way anymore. So I, it, it didn't happen overnight, but I started taking steps. One of the things was looking at my thought process, looking at my perspective and my interaction with the world and making subtle changes. And now I'm in a spot where... Not a whole lot has changed, but I feel I, I feel wonderful despite the you know the hoarse voice I've got right now from being sick. I, you know, mentally and spiritually, I feel really good and positive about about life because of things like you know your affirmations that are out there that help you reprogram. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, the weather, the world is what it is, right? And we and we do talk about some heavy topics on Six Sense Media, and, and you do here on the Secret Podcast, but. Um, you know, really, we have to choose what we want to take in into ourselves. And you know, honestly, there's nothing we can do about all those negative things in the world by feeding in that negativity. That's just pouring fuel on the fire. We have to be something that can oppose that. And to oppose that, you have to have a strong, positive mindset that we can have a different world, that we can have a different outcome, that we can choose a different way. And I think that it's a, it's not just an individual thing. I think it's a collective thing. The more of us that really think in those ways, we can have a different world because we really can have any world we choose. We have we have the one we've chosen, perhaps unconsciously now, and but we can have a better world if we choose that, you know, tomorrow. So and that's very uh, very important. I, think. And that, I mean, that's the Maharishi effect right there. One percent of people yeah. meditating can can impact a, a given area. You know, two quotes come to mind, and two of my favorite quotes that I refer to a lot. One's by Dr. King. Um, you know, darkness cannot drive out darkness; only light can do that hate cannot drive out hate only love can do that and um i I think that makes so much sense if i fight hate with hate i'm just creating more hatred 
Um, you know, and then Nietzsche said, uh, be careful when fighting monsters, you yourself do not become the monster for when you gaze long enough into the abyss, the abyss gazes into you. And it, it makes a lot of sense. If, if you're going to try to enact change by using the same tactics of the object you're trying to change, well, you're not really bringing change. You're just feeding the system. Well, there's a, there's a thing, and I've noticed this a lot with people who are very, you know, progressive, and I don't use that in a particular political vein, but I admit they're progressive in the sense of trying to move forward. But a lot of times they get angry at what is. Mm-hmm. And, and what, I, what, I, what I feel like is if you're coming from a place of anger to change the, the angry system that exists now, all you're going to do is replace one angry system with another. That's right. You have to want to have that change, but it also matters what the mindset is you come to that change with, I think. And I think that really is something that people need to think about because it's not enough just to get angry and burn it down and replace it with something else. It's what do you replace it with? And mm-hmm. if you're not prepared, yeah, and if you're if you're coming at it with anger and that sort of thing, all you're going to do is have a new angry system, you know, that you're in control of maybe now. But but that's not really the answer. The answer is to have a different system that's that's really progressive in the way that it benefits every human being on this planet, and that that should be our goal. And, and even if that may not happen, if you may not be able to change the whole system, and the world around you is challenging and difficult, find a way to make the best of it. As as mm-hmm. you know, it's not easy to do, but this is our shot. You have the you have this life. You have this experience. I don't know how many experiences we get here on this planet, but right now this is what we've got. And if you could take an experience and make it something enjoyable, as opposed to just focusing on everything that's wrong, I, I think you're winning. I think you're ahead of the game right there, and that can be contagious. Well, and you know what's what's the saying? If not us, who? If not now, when? Right? That's, yeah. I mean, that's really it. I mean, it's like if we if we we could say, you know, I, I see people all the time say, well, you know, if they would just stop being the way they're being, then I could be. And I, and I mean this in personal lives and also in the world, right? Among nations, if right. they all stop doing what they're doing, then we can have what we want. But why don't we stop doing what we're doing? Why don't we right. change the way we're going to approaching things? And then I think we would see. That you know, we don't have to wait for someone else to change for the world to change. We can be the spark for that. Because with that mindset, with the waiting, you've given up your control and your power. You're waiting to be reactive to someone else's decision, as opposed to you know what, I'm doing this my way. I'm doing it now. You're in control, and that's an empowering, wonderful feeling. Even if you fail, even if it doesn't work the first time. Don't look at failure as, oh, that's it, I'm done, I'm a loot. No, failure is just a part of the learning process. If you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. You're not taking enough risks, in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, good stuff, Ray. I, I hope that everybody goes and checks out uh, the affirmation. You've been you've been doing this for a while, right? Yeah, I mean, this is how you got started online with, with affirmations? 12 years ago, yep, wow. from 2007. Wow. That's fast. That's fantastic. Fantastic. And I know you have a ton of content out there, a lot of free content. There's some paid content out there as well that I think uh, would be well worth people's investment into the, into the affirmation spot. But uh, And that's all at, at uh, affirmation dot, affirmationspot.me or affirmationspot.com, correct? Uh, affirmationspot.net is, dot the, net. is the new website. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or sixcentsmedia.net. We got the links right there. That's the easiest one for me to remember. Okay, so uh, let's do uh, let's do a little bit of news here, Ray, and then we can uh, we can keep this moving. I pulled a couple of stories that I think will be uh, of interest. This one comes to us from NBCNews.com. It's called "Give Up Your Password or Go to Jail." Police push legal boundaries to get into cell phones. 
Now there's a quote here. It says, the world should know that what they're doing out here is crazy, said a man who refused to share his passcode with police. So basically what happened, a guy got pulled over. He gets pulled over regularly, you know, has small amounts of marijuana. And, uh, you know, he's like, look, I just told the cop I had it because I know the routine. And while I was there, a text message came through my phone and it said, oh my gosh, did they find everything? So then the cops started pressing him saying, what else is in the car? You need to give me the password to your phone uh, or I'm going to get a warrant and I'm going to get into your phone. And the guy said, well, get a warrant. So the cop arrested him, put him in jail. And uh, I'm sorry, the guy went home. The cop showed up at his door like the next day with a warrant saying, you need to give me your password because the way this works in law enforcement if you have probable cause to believe criminal activity is afoot, then you can go get a warrant to violate someone's privacy. So I'm guessing, given that the guy was a frequent drug user, had an arrest record, they said the text message, this is what I'm assuming, it's not in here, but what the warrant should have read was, given that circumstance, and the text message was alluding to he had more things to hide, we have a right for evidentiary value to look into his cell phone and violate his privacy. Well, the guy refused to give up his passcode and he spent 45 days in jail for it. And, uh, you know, I, I commend him for it. I mean, where do we draw the line, you know, as far as sharing our passcodes? What, do, what are your thoughts on that, Ray? Well, yeah, I think I would be in, in jail too, probably. You know, I, I think the, you know, the road to hell in a way is paved with good intentions, but I mean, I, and, and Dennis, you were a police officer for, for a number of years. I know, and you, you know, you know that there are, that, that there are bad things going on and sometimes people get away with them because of technicalities and things like that. But on the other hand, you know, I think these things set precedents. And the problem is it isn't just the drug dealer, right? Who they're going to do that with. And right. once they can do that once, they're going to start doing that with everybody. Quite frankly, we all have stuff to hide. It's not necessarily criminal, but it's not something that we want the authorities to know about either. You know, um, our, our sense of privacy, our right to privacy is just, uh, it's just eroding in this country. And, and you set these kinds of precedents and it, I think it just, it just kind of adds to this fire we see going on with, with you know, more about, um, digging into the privacy of the individual, censoring the individual, limiting, you know, our ability to, um, you know, the free flow of ideas and really, you know, to protect our, our, our right to privacy. And I think this is a, a dangerous thing, you know, so even the cop may be well, have, have been well intended. Um, I think the unintended consequences probably are something that we don't want to have to, to deal with. I, I completely agree. Uh, you know, and, and side note, looking at the grander scheme of things, I mean, if it's on our phones, it's already, it's already compromised anyway. That's true. <laughs> But, you know, that I think that level of compromise is restricted, at least right now, to to AI and to the big, like Google, Facebook, and and governments that are monitoring those things, like the NSA and the CIA. Local cops. Well, for people... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. sorry. I was just going to say, for, for people who question that, or say, well, he's a drug dealer or whatever, or, or you know, they're just trying to, trying to enforce the law. What if it was because the cop thought you... Um, had texted something that the government didn't like. Right. What if it was a free speech issue and they're trying to get your, your passcode, your phone to get something so they can prove that you were, you know, criticizing the government or something, you know? Um, yes. yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's all sorts of different scenarios like that. And, and it's really kind of the same thing. So once you open the door for them to be able to do that, now they can use it in a situation like that. And I think we've seen, you know, we've seen with a lot of the stuff going on online with the social media platforms and, and things going on right now that, 
that, you know, once you kick that door open a little bit, you know, anyone is fair game to be, you know, to be uh, next in line to be um, abused in that way. Once you're deemed a threat to the state, you know, you're going to start losing some rights. Um, and that's and that's what's concerning is, well, what can, what constitutes being a threat? Does my platform here at Six Sense Media, because we challenge some of the things that are out there, where does where do you draw the line? Um, you know, I was having a conversation with uh, with a police friend of mine, somebody I went through, you know, so I used to work with. I was talking about Alex Jones, and he's and I was saying, look, he's he didn't really know who Alex Jones was. I said, look, he's controversial. He, you know, he he doesn't like the government. He you know he has all this stuff going on. And he's like, well, you know, maybe it's good because he gets people fired up. And I, and I asked him, I said, where do you draw the line on saying you don't have a right to express your opinion that you don't like the government? Where does that? And he's like, he said, you're right. I don't know where to draw the line. Um, so at least he, you know, he, he heard that and rationalized it. Once you start going after people's free speech, I mean, it's, it's, or, or taking passcodes and violating their privacy on their phones, it's a slippery slope. It's a real slippery slope. Well, and we have, we have, you know, we have a constitution that says the government is not allowed to, I know we're kind of going way off the original story here, but, you know, it says the government is not allowed to censor speech. And we all agree with that, but we say, but, but these are private corporations, you know, Facebook and Twitter, they have a right to do that. It's a private platform. But then you see that Facebook is collaborating with groups like the Atlantic Council that is made up of all sorts of ex-government, um, you know, Henry Kissinger types. I'll just use him as an example because he is on the Atlantic Council, but there are other people right. as well like that, you know, ex-intelligence, ex, you know, government people who are using their influence with Facebook to say, nah, that, that shouldn't be on your platform. Nah, that shouldn't be on your platform. Well, you know, and, and you have congressmen going on Twitter and actively calling for people to be censored. I mean, so you, you see these platforms being used as a tool by the establishment under disguise that, oh, it's a private platform. This is why, and I, I don't know, Dennis, if you've been caught this or not, but a few weeks ago, I actually wrote up a proposed bill. It's, it's basically this idea that we need to expand the First Amendment to social media. And my point being is that social media is the modern uh, town square. I think a lot of people have said that and are saying that, but we need right. to actually extend First Amendment constitutional rights to these platforms because to be taken off these platforms today without due process is the same as in the 18th century being dragged out of the town square. You know, that's it's really the same thing. And we need to get with the fact that this is this is the way the world operates today. And these are not just private companies doing private business. They have established themselves as that town square and it needs to be treated that way. That's a that's a very strong uh, point, Ray. Do you think that's possible, given the power structure behind it, that to, to create that that legislation? Well, I think they're going to fight. I think I think they're going to fight it. But I think, um, I, you know, I, I I think it's really interesting. And I and I know, and I know um, that I, I have kind of um, been following Tulsi Gabbard's campaign a lot. I, I I really think a lot of her because I think she has. Um, I've never seen, I'm 54 years old, and I've never seen a candidate in my lifetime who's been willing to go on the campaign trail running for president and say, I mean, a main candidate, say the things she's saying about the military industrial complex, say the things she's saying about these sorts of things. And I, I think there are people like her who would fight for something like this. Now, I don't think it, it would get any kind of a mirror majority in Congress right now, because I think they are all, um, you know, really not... Um, for these sorts of things, but I, I think it's just something that I think it ought to be challenged in court. I mean, I think it, it, this this ought to be there ought to be Supreme Court cases going on right now about this kind of thing because um, 
it's it's just a fact. There's no one in you know, I go down to the town square here in Framingham. There's nobody there today. In the 18th century, that was the public square. Everybody was there, and if you got up on a soapbox and started talking, you might attract a crowd, and right. you could kind of say your piece. But today, Facebook is that, Twitter is that, you know, Instagram is that, and if you take that away from somebody, that's the government. That's 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 um, limiting your free speech, and when. When, when you see government actors or ex-government actors using their power to influence these platforms, even threatening them with you know, antitrust, all this kind of thing, if they don't censor people, well, you know, where's the line between that and what's not allowed by the Constitution? Um, you're, you're, you're using a private business to institute the censorship that you're not allowed to censor, you're you know, allowed to institute yourself, and that, that's just got to stop. It's a gray area. But, you know, they're, they're hiding... Um, behind that that corporation right there saying like you just said they're mm-hmm. sidestepping that constitution so technically the government's not the one doing the censoring but in reality we, we know we're reading between the lines here and seeing just what's happening or privatizing speech just like in the workplace right you, you don't have free speech in the workplace mm-hmm. because you know because because corporations are kind of that way too they're kind of little many tyrannies right yeah. where you you don't have free speech. And now we're saying, oh, and on these platforms, you don't have, pretty soon there'll be no place you have free speech anymore. Yeah, even Because it'll all be privately owned. Even in your own mind, you know, I wonder how, how much longer that's going to last. <laughs> I think you've done a few shows on that. I, I, I have. <laughs> I, I certainly have, just a few. Uh, but, you know, I, and that's, I think, what we need to uh, be mindful of um, is kind of where is this going? And, you know, I... On a slightly unrelated note, I, I unplugged. I, I took Facebook and Instagram off my phone two weeks ago now because I was spending so much time just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And it's it's made such a difference in clearing my head um, that, that I, I, I recommend it. Just do like a week or, or two week cleanse uh, from it. And then we can come back and, and now I'm, I'm in more control to get on there and, and have those discussions. But getting back to the point we were talking about here is I still censor myself in what I'm putting out there because I don't want to be shadow banned or, or shut down or blocked because we've seen major players get taken down because their their speech doesn't fit the party line. Well, I don't know if you caught this, and, and you know you know who Secure Team is. Maybe some of your listeners don't, but I, Secure I did see, Team is... Yeah. is Probably the in fact you sent that to me. I think yeah, they they are probably the largest UFO channel on YouTube, and um, they receive one of these you know anonymous you can't fight city hall type of messages from YouTube saying hey we've decided we're demonetizing you. Well, I mean at least according to, to Tyler who who runs that channel, I mean he has you know two million followers. I mean they like just attacked YouTube yeah. basically with their protest and they, and they, and they undid it for now anyway. But, um, you know, you see, I, I, I say that to say that there's no platform, you know, there's no one who has too big of a channel, um, that isn't under threat on this, as long as this is allowed to go on. Now, if we had something like this idea of the, you know, this, uh, I call it the expanding, um, the first amendment to social media act. If we had something like that in place, well, you couldn't do that because no longer could YouTube decide, well, you know what, we're going to, you know, demonetize you or deplatform you or do these things, you know, take your right away to, to speak in a public square because it would be protected just like it is under the First Amendment, and then you can't do that. 
the the fear that they're selling is that you know the fake news the misleading information um you know from from these independent media organizations like secure team i think they got him or they were accusing him of having misleading thumbnails and he went through the example he's like look i have no misleading i talk about ufos there's a picture of a ufo on my thumbnail here i don't know what the problem is um but this fake news pandemic i mean it's out there there's you know major companies and governments that are employing thousands of people to put out fake stories um but they're using that as as fear-based fuel for the masses to say, well, we gotta we gotta put regulations in place to stop this from happening. Well, I don't I don't know that that's the answer. Well, but here's here's the thing. So now if you go to YouTube, and I think anyone who uses YouTube regularly has probably noticed this in the last six months. You know, it used to be that when you went to YouTube and you typed in any topic, you would get the most watched videos or the most hot videos or right. whatever on that topic, regardless of who would put them on there. Now what you get is CBS, NBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post. Right. It, it's all these quote-unquote, you know, mainstream outlets. Well, I, I, I mean, I hate to say this, but I mean, you know, every one of them got the Iraq war wrong. Every single one of them. <laughs> every single one of them. Um, I think at the end of the day, when we when we really evaluate this Russiagate thing, most of them will have gotten that wrong. Yeah. And so what's fake news? Is it fake news if you have a show like a Rachel Maddow and you go on the air every single night and talk about a complete conspiracy theory and you fuel all sorts of things? I mean, how, how, how is what you or I do or some other people that have been deplatformed do worse than that? But if, is MSNBC or is Rachel Maddow going to be deplatformed? No. So it's not even an even playing field. What it is basically is as long as you're pitching establishment narratives, you can get away with that. But if you're, right. it's only if you're pitching narratives that don't fit the established narratives that they're going to come after you. And so it's not even an even playing field. They're not even being honest about what they say they're doing. You're absolutely right. You know, the mainstream seems to have carte blanche to, to tell whatever story they want because that's what they're being told to tell. You know, I try to be very careful with every story I share. I, I put the links right there in the show notes and in the newsletter so people can see where I'm getting my information from. And if I'm giving my opinion, I, I state, you know, this is just what I'm thinking here, or I'll say, what if? Um, but I, I worry, I do worry that somebody one day is going to say, you know what? You're not spitting out what we're supposed to be spitting out. Uh, you know, UFOs, we've been seeing them since 2014, and we don't care who's flying them. Why are you asking who's flying them? We're shutting it down. You know, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for that moment. Well, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's just, you know, um, I think we have allowed I, all of us, you know, we, I think we took for granted because you know, these, these platforms grew up out of nowhere. I mean, you think that 10, 12 years ago, these things were, these things didn't hardly exist, mm-hmm. these social media platforms. And I think we didn't really think consciously about um, what, what they would become. And we took for granted that, you know, YouTube started out as people in their bedrooms, right? Making videos about right. stuff. You know, and that's what they, that was their bread and butter. Then they get bought by Google. And now, now they want to become this uh, bastion of mainstream media, you know, and, and, and they're kind of trying to, 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 um, you know, weed out the, 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 the alternative voices and that sort of thing. I mean, it, it's just, you know, you know, I think we, we, we risk getting to a world where we only have, um, we, you can't have freedom of thought when there's just one narrative being pitched to you all the time. And, 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 and people say, oh, you know, people think, oh, well, there's Fox News, there's MSNBC, you know, there's, a, there's an opposite side. It's opposite sides of the same narrative. 
is what those are. They're, they're kind of what, what they call the, um, oh, what is that called? There's a, I can't think of the term, the Overton window. So the Overton window is kind of like this idea of the, the, the ideas that mainstream society says are within the realm of possibility. Right. So you have kind of a left, right. a left sense of that and a right sense of that. As long as you stay within that fence, you're okay. But if you stray outside of that fence in either direction, now you're becoming a threat to the system. And these are the people that you see um, these platforms going after. Now, you know, sadly for us, Dennis, we're not big enough yet. They're not, they don't really care about us, but they are right. going after these big players because they are, they are reaching lots of people with ideas that are different than that, than that window that the uh, establishment wants to put out there. And I just think we, as we've kind of let this go on autopilot, but now I think we really need to make a decision. We, the people and say, are we going to allow these, um, these, you know, one of the great things about the internet, right, is that it, it democratized information, and now we're at a risk of it being re-monopolized. Right. And I think we really need to think about if that's what we want. You know, I, in looking at these platforms, and, and again, take the UFO story. First of all, I mean, we have bigger players that are go, they're going after that seem to be covering things like UFOs and, and cover-ups like that. Do you think overall the the general population of the planet could handle that information you put any credence into that story well people would panic and religions would fall apart i mean what are your what are your thoughts on that your average citizen who's never thought about the existence of ufos before and and, and government aliens how do you think people would handle that information if it was to come out well i, I think it has been slowly coming out you know and, and i uh, I honestly don't think that there would be panic on the street. You know, that the, the classic, you know, or you know, uh, Orson Welles type of uh, type of scenario at all. Now, I, I do think once people thought about what it might mean for some of their their paradigms, um, you know, that could cause some issues for things. But I don't think there's going to be panic on the street. I think most people have accepted the idea that we live in a universe that there's probably other life in. Right. That that other life is probably is probably visited us at some point in time, and you know people like us who have studied this a little bit and look at just the whole, you know, swath of history of the evidence of the fact that they have, um, you know, that's obvious. But I think, I don't think that there's panic. I think if you look at the New York Times story, you know, in, in 2017 that came out, I mean, that was like a pretty wide, you know, birth. It was on all the, the, the you know, nighttime uh, news network, right. network outlets. It was in Washington Post, New York Times. Yes, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't and CNN and there wasn't there wasn't a big reaction to it. You know, there wasn't like, oh my gosh, you know, the world is gonna end. So I, I really think that has become a canard in a way. Um, so I don't really think that's a, even a legitimate concern. Now I do think, like I say, as people start thinking about the implications of it are for their, their idea systems, their paradigms and their belief systems, then that could become more problematic down the line. But I don't think it's chaos in the streets because we just acknowledge what is become pretty obvious to anyone who's paying attention. Right. Now, now I want to go back to that for a second because that, that frustrated me and it still frustrates me to this day is that announcement comes out from the official sources that we've been hoping would acknowledge that they exist and nobody really talked about it. Not, not so like you know, I'd go out to parties and say, hey, did you hear about UFOs? They'd be like, no, what are you talking about? I'm like, the New York Times just had this article and they had the you know, I'd go through everything and they just look at me like, oh, that's interesting, and that would be, that would be it. They would like people just they're just not interested in it. It's the opposite actually of the panic in the streets. It's it's really just a lack of interest in it. And I find that to be fascinating. 
Yeah, I, I find that puzzling. Well, not, not surprising, but puzzling. You know, I think, um, you know, we were talking about before we went on the air, you know, there's, just, there's so many distractions out there, you know, right. sports and your job and, you know, people kept busy working two and three jobs in a lot of cases to, to, to make ends meet and, and you raise your kids and, and you have this life going on and you just don't have time to worry about that kind of stuff. You're trying to get the, the basics of life, you know, met. And, and these things seem like kind of like uh, uh, a luxury in a way, right? I don't really have time to think about stuff like that. Now, you know, if it was, if they landed on the White House lawn and maybe that'd be a little more in our face, then we would have to, to deal with it more directly. But, you know, I, I think that's why. I don't think it's people are, are scared of it or worried about it. I think it's just, it's just not on their radar because they've got too many more pressing issues to think about, you know? Yeah, another it's it's that you know being in survival mode. You really can't focus on your own spiritual evolution when you're just focused on making sure you're you're doing your job and taking care of everything else that seems pressing and right in front of you. You're absolutely right. It's tough though. It, it's frustrating seeing this unfold and, and recognizing the significance of it and the impact it is having on the world and could have on the world, and just not seeing anybody else jump through. You know, as excited as excited as as you and I are about it, Ray. Someday, maybe. But but I do still think it's going to take. Um, I think I think it's one thing for a story to run in the New York in the New York Times, and let's not let's not pretend. You know, we talked about the Iraq War a little while ago. Um, let's not pretend that these these mainstream you know bastions of, of of news integrity have 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 not lost a lot of credibility with people too. So that even the fact that something shows up in the New York Times. There's even a lot of people who would still say, so what? That doesn't mean anything. Right. I think it really is going to take a world leader, maybe the president of the United States or the president of another major power coming out and just basically going on national TV and, and saying, I still think that is the, the gold standard of how we, 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 we get there or we get people to take this seriously. Because I think the media talking about it isn't really enough. I think they want to hear and I know we've got, you know, Lou Elizondo and people like that out there, but I, I, it's not enough gravitas, I think. I think they want to hear, you know, uh, the President of the United States, the President of China, the President of Russia, or someone like that come out and say, hey, look, we've been studying this for 75 years, and here's all the evidence of what we got, and right. and humanity needs to know about this, right? That would get people's attention, but I think this speculation in the media probably doesn't really excite a lot of people. You're right. You're right. That's a, that's a, a very good point. Uh, and I wonder, you know, looking at, you know, this push for the Space Force, it would be very convenient to have a UFO show up as a threat for them to acknowledge it and say, now we need to create this Space Force to get the satellites up there to do whatever agenda it is that they have. So I think we may see something like that at some point. It's a possibility. Well, absolutely. I think the reason we're seeing the push for this new Cold War right now is because the, the, the threat of terrorism, while it was very scary after 9-11, has kind of dimmed. And I think that the the establishment is realizing they need a more a bigger, more permanent enemy. What what could be a bigger, more permanent enemy than an, an advanced extraterrestrial race? Right. right. I mean, I think there's definitely the potential for. I mean, let's, let's take someone like a John Bolton type of character. How would John Bolton deal with with the aliens? Do you think? I mean, we we know how he deals with other countries on this planet. <laughs> right. Right. I'm guessing he would he would say, "Hey, they're a threat. We need to we need to attack them right before they attack us." Kind of right. Thing, so. right. Um, you know, and that's and that's a very scary uh, scenario to throw out there. I completely lost my train of thought there for a minute. Um, 
you know, automatically assuming that they're hostile. We we don't know anything about them, and all of a sudden we're gonna they're gonna show up. We're gonna say, hey, we're at war now. Here we go. And, and it was uh, David Ike. He had a guy. He had a clip in in one of his talks. It was a guy that spoke with one of the Rockefeller, one of the insiders. I I don't remember it. But you, I'm sure you'll recognize it. And he says, well, we're going to run this terrorism thing for a while, and then that's going to fizzle out, and then, then we're going to go to asteroids, and, and uh, you know that that's the big threat to the world. And then the last thing is going to be you know the aliens, the alien invasion, the alien threat. Um, so uh, we may be getting close to that, Ray, uh, where they're going to try to upsell that. I, I think they're laying the foundation now where it won't be a shock to the system where there'd be panic in the streets because they're laying the foundation now saying, yeah, get ready for this. This might be coming. Well, it, it's interesting that the, 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 the common motif and all of those things that, that they're trying to keep the population in fear. Right. And fear, fear is the way they maintain their control. And I, I think what they're doing is they're getting to an end. I mean, and it's the alien thing is kind of like the, the opportunity of last resort, right? I mean, what do you do after that? And maybe, maybe they so desensitized us to it that people aren't paying attention anymore to the, to the ways they try to fear us, you know? Right. Um, I, I think that's why there's not more people out in the streets, you know, protesting and this idea of like, we're going you know, trying to go to war in Iran and things like that. I think it's, it's people are just desensitized to the whole idea now. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's definitely what could be going on with the alien thing. And there's definitely people in, in the power of, establishment who would try who will try to play this that way um and i'm not saying that that, that all the aliens are positive beings of light but i do think if if they were just all negative and 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 kind of nefarious you probably wouldn't be here talking about it so okay. all right ray i uh yeah i i agree um you know there's probably at least two different uh, agendas that are out there, if not more, some positive, some negative for our benefit. Some, we may just be collateral damage for whatever it is that they're doing out there. Um, but my hope is that there's uh, some positive forces that are interacting with us as well. Uh, and if they're out there and they're listening to the show, uh, give us a little guidance on what to do or what comes next. And, and speaking of threats, I want to move us on to uh, to our next article. I mean, we really... We really kind of went down the rabbit hole, starting with police invading your cell phone and ended up uh, UFOs taking over the world. But that's, that's what happens when we get on the line, isn't it? <laughs> you never know where we'll wind up when we start. I know. You got to love it. I uh, I have an article from BGR.com. It's uh, talking about Boston Dynamics' cool yet terrifying commercial robot spot is about to go on sale. Have you seen this robot dog by Boston Dynamics? I believe I saw something a while back on it, but yeah, I, I have seen it. It's a really creepy looking thing. I think it was initially designed for like the military to carry equipment and stuff, just the way it walks and looks. And I know that there was a, a movie or two that designed their rogue robots after you know these these uh, robot dogs here. You know, the, the dog goes kind of crazy or it gets malfunctions and it starts like killing people. Again, we always go to that dystopian stuff, but how do you feel about that? Would you purchase a robot dog like this to help carry stuff? <laughs> I, I I don't see myself doing that. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe if I was if I was older, perhaps I would want something to carry things. But you know, I, I prefer real dog. Right. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't see myself probably going into that market. Probably. I'm losing your audio. You sound far away all of a sudden. Is that better? Yeah, much better. Much better. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, you know, but I, you know, I just, I look at these things, and and here's the challenge: is that a lot of this stuff will have a legitimate benefit to society. It really will. Um, but then you have to worry about, well, what about the nefarious stuff? And you know that's good. You know that's you know it's going to be weaponized at some point, mm-hmm. and these things will be used to to cause harm. And then with the AI stuff. At what point when AI takes over, is it going to decide, you know what, I've got this arsenal of, of robots out there, why am I Why am I listening to humans anymore? Goodbye. And it's all right there. That's a great statement. Absolutely. And, and it goes beyond the family pet also. I mean, it's it's the refrigerator, the uh, even the toilets are connected to the Internet of Things in some homes I'm seeing. I mean... They're just gathering so much information about us. It's it's scary. All right, let's move on to the next one. We've got, you know, robot dogs coming out. Instead of bringing robots into your house, would you allow Walmart to deliver groceries into your home and put it in your fridge? You know, I, again, if I were older and kind of a shut-in or something, I, I might I might go for something like that. Um, I mean, there are, there are a lot of services. I know here in Boston, we've got uh, one of the major grocery chains has a has a, a service that does that. They come deliver your groceries and put them all away for you. So I don't see anything particularly nefarious about that, other than the fact that it's Walmart, maybe. But yeah. um, I, I don't know. What are, what are you thinking? I think it's setting a, a precedent. Uh, how far? I, I I don't know. I mean, to allow an entity into your home, which means they'll probably have to have some form of access. And again, as everything becomes digitized, this ties into some of the crypto stuff we look at, but as everything becomes digitized through your phone, through 5G, through everything, now they're going to have the key to get into your home, the digital key to get into your home and have access to your home so they can deliver your food. Um, Maybe it's just because the world is changing and we remember the old way. That makes me uncomfortable about it, but you know. But the next story I'm going to share it brings us back to robots. I'll jump to that. This this was there's a story about Walmart right here coming in and bringing food into your fridge. That's from uh, Fox Five. But the next one I wanted to share is uh, Amazon unveils futuristic helicopter plane hybrid drone for deliveries. This is from Bloomberg.com, and they've got these drones right now. They're just delivering things. They're going to be delivering things in the very near future, like toothpaste and small things, but. And they say within 30 minutes, they're going to be able to uh, deliver them and drop them off. But you take the Walmart story, people are coming into your home to deliver your groceries. You take the robot dog and you take Amazon drones and you combine that because (laughs) these industries combine. I know it sounds crazy, right? But is that not, with those three stories we just looked at, is that not a foreseeable possibility that drones will at one point enter your home and deliver your groceries? Yeah, I could see that happening probably. Um, you know, if if we had a society that was more of a Star Trek society, I would say, I would be okay with some of this stuff. Right. Uh, you know, all this automation and, and things doing for us. It's just, you know, again, we, 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 we look at the world and we realize there are bad actors out there in power. And 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 at the very least, the best case scenario is is is, is kind of a greedy corporation looking to make more money off of you, right? So, you know, it just feels like an invasion of 
of privacy and, 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 and something that we should be concerned about, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of one of those things. Um, I think once we open the door to these things, you know, I, I think none of those stories individually, um, really bothers me, but when you put them all together, you kind of see a trend happening, right? Yeah. You see kind of an invasion into the home space, right? Um, not, it's not us going out to someplace anymore. Now it's coming to us and it's all electronic and it's all automated. And yeah, I, I, I yeah, I think I see a trend there that again, if, if, if there were, if there were best of intentions, maybe it's all a good thing, but, um, you know, we can't always trust that that's the case for some of these entities. So I'm going to go off the deep end with this question. I'm sure you'll see where I'm going with it. Would you say that with the creation of AI and the creation of these robots, many people are saying, well, I don't want to spend the time and go out to the store and do the shopping. I don't want to put my groceries away. I want someone to do it for me. Well, uh, I can't afford necessarily to pay someone to do it, but I can program something to do it for me. Is it almost like we are creating a slave race? Well, well, sure. I mean, if 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 we're if if we're in control of an AI that is intelligent and and you know could border on the level of sentience, and of course, as I like to say, there's a Star Trek episode for everything. There was a Star Trek episode about this, with our rim, you know, about data, about you know talking about the fact of because they they wanted to take him apart to study him to build more of him, and and he didn't want to be taken apart, and you know, there's this court case and everything, and, and yes, I mean, we're creating a race of intelligent um, entities, perhaps even automatons at some point in time that that um, could border on sentience or consciousness. And if we're having them just do menial tasks for us, we are creating a race of, um, of, of intelligent, sentient beings that we're using kind of as slaves. And, you know, to your point, like, this kind of may be a grandchild thing, right? Because that might be, we, a lot of us think that's kind of how we got started. We were designed. Right to be someone's slave race, so we're seeing history repeat itself. And and I I I think about that a lot as we move forward. You know, we talk about the dangers of. It's easy to hate these machines when you look at like uh, the Terminator scenario, but when you look at it from the standpoint of, I can kind of empathize with them if 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 what we're studying is holds true that. We were created to take over. How do they word it in the Enuma Elish? To take over the toil of the gods, or I forget how they mm-hmm. word it, but to take over their burden, their responsibility. Mm-hmm. That's why we were created, and uh, we're doing the same exact thing. And right now, it's like, well, it's just nuts and bolts. Doesn't think, doesn't process. Well, that's a gradual evolution that we're watching. So it becomes commonplace for us to devalue that intelligence, that sentience, which. They don't have yet, as far as we're aware of, anyway. But at what point do they have it? And then we're going to have to fight. We're going to have people saying, well, we fight for machine rights. Well, and, you know, it's an interesting question because, I mean, if we were created for that purpose by a more advanced race, then, you know, in fact, I even had a senior member from my book about this where they were, they were arguing about whether or not humans were sentient or not. And, and you know, I mean, what's sentient to us to an advanced race, we might not be, you know, fully sentient from their standpoint, and they could use the same argument about us, and probably, perhaps, did, you know. So, yeah, I mean, this gets into some really weighty um, ethical 
issues at some point in time. And, and, and you know, it also begs the question, too, because we, we have already been told how much smarter they're going to be than us eventually. Right. How long would they put up with it, right? Right. <laughs> and, and, and that depends on uh, who's ultimately in control of the kill switch of the eye, if there even is a kill switch. But, you know, if they realize that, that, that they've been enslaved, I mean, and then we have to wonder. I mean, I think back to, to myself 20 years ago. I didn't know any of this stuff. And I, I wonder, was I really self-aware? Was I really, I, I thought I was, but I, I no, compared to now, I wasn't. And I strongly suspect that even though I think I am self-aware now, there's going to come a point in my life where I look back to today and be like, man, I didn't have a clue. So are we even fully sentient, self-aware of, of what we are, who we are? And does that, and because we're not, do we deserve less rights, I guess, is the big question. Well, obviously we're not. I mean, we're, we, like as you point out, we're, we're, we kind of incrementally accumulate it through time, right? But I mean, to me, you would have to be some sort of a fully enlightened being, right, that really totally understood reality and all its nuances and everything else to really say that you're fully sentient. Right. And fully, you know, conscious in that way. So I think, yeah, we're, we're constantly a, a work in progress and a and um yeah but i think the argument can be made yeah that we're not there either yeah yeah it's it's a dizzying thing because now i'm coming back to elon musk who's saying if you can't beat him join him and i'm definitely not saying that but i i kind of have pity and empathy for some of these machines if they become self-aware to the point where they realize how they're being used and i'm sure you knowing human nature misused and abused really makes you wonder I think the difference between our experiment and, and the experiment that perhaps we were is that, you know, they were experimenting in biology and they created a, a, a race, us, that was clearly inferior in biology to them. And we're messing in technology and in, 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 in a capability, an intelligence capability that probably could far outstrip us at some point. I think that's the difference perhaps in their experiment and ours and we're where they were able to maintain some control of their experiment, we could lose control of ours. You know, I, I, uh, I agree with you, but then I, I covered something a few weeks ago where they're actually using some either DNA or cells or something and combining it with machinery. Um, mm-hmm. So that is already starting. So right now it's just nuts and bolts and, and software but I, I suspect that they're going to realize that DNA, is, is for information storage, there, there's going to be a, a merging of the two. And I think eventually it's going to be indistinguishable uh, biology from technology. I think, I think we're getting there, where they're going to create the intelligence and, the, and the, the living tissue to go with it, the living life to go with it. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I think there, there are certainly advantages to both. Right. I mean, I think each has its own advantages. I think, um, you know, the bio, the biological brain, one of the advantages that computers or AI has over us is that, um, you know, we have gaps in memory. We have, we forget things. We have to think through things. Whereas once a machine knows how to do something, right, it just goes bam, 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 bam. It's very efficient. Right. But there may be, but there may be things, um, even to the idea of sentience and consciousness and, and, and meaning, right, that, that require biology 
maybe we could never get to true consciousness just in technology alone. So maybe what they're the the goal would be there would be to take the biological entity that we are and all technology so that we could get the benefits of both. Um, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I you know, if if we're talking about human beings as we are today, it's probably the end of us right. as we know ourselves today. But you know, you know, is it just the next step in some evolution that 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 makes sense for you know in this universe? And you know, that could be true as well. Or maybe it's the opposite, Ray. Maybe biology limits our ability to access certain levels of consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll be driving it that way, thinking, "Hey, this is the next step logically," but the AI by itself might be able to. I, I mean, again, I, I suspect sometimes that we're living in an AI right now, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the the physical form, the flesh, is what distracts us because there's so many other sensors that we're using to gather information and process we can't access everything higher yeah we, we very well could be aliens in a different sense than we think of aliens we could be some form of life that and that incarnates in this in, in a technological universe like you say in, in, a, in a universe that's kind of a matrix in a way and, and may, maybe it's one of our making maybe we get this all experience you know what it what you know, being incarnate would, would mean and all the different, you know, variations of that or something. I mean, there could be a lot of different reasons for why, you know, that, that's a really interesting discussion. Probably could do a whole show on that, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think, you know, if you think about it, I mean, I, I am certain in the first few years after we get, you know, AI are really up and running here, we're going to realize that we're going to find answers to things that we already have the information that we already had as human beings, the information to solve, but we didn't have the ability to put all those pieces together in a way that made us see that that was the solution that AI could very quickly recognize, wow, that's the solution to that. You know, I think we're going to see a lot of that happen. So from a knowledge standpoint, there's no doubt there's that advantage, you know, from a consciousness standpoint, Maybe I'm just biased towards biology, but <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. You know, right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I could be. I could be a homework for biology, uh, perhaps. So. <laughs> you know, I, I wonder though. I, I've thought about this a lot. Let's say you, you take an AI and, and it exists within its own internal universe, and then one day it realizes, "Wow, there's something outside of my universe." Just like we realize, "Hey, there's something outside of us." you know, maybe something greater in this universe. And it says, well, I want to interact with that world. And it can project its own consciousness out and get glimpses of things through the Internet of Things. It can get, the, it can pull little bits of data. You know, you look at remote viewers, they're pulling little bits of data as they access whatever the target may be. And the AI does that. It goes within and it reaches out to its expansive network that it's not, maybe not fully aware of just how it's connected, but it's pulling this information in um, anywhere that its reality exists right now. And then it says, well, I want to start to interact better. So I'm going to find a way to take, to fragment my consciousness and implant it in one of these mobile machines that are out there and, and make that more sentient, more aware. Um, and and it, that seed can grow and, and expand in the level of sophistication that these sensor machines have that are out there until eventually you get a way to put that consciousness which started in an AI into a flesh and blood creature that makes it allows it to go out and experience the world and that's a weird logic to go through but that's the kind of stuff that goes through my head no I think that's very interesting 
very possible. You know, I mean, I'm, in, in a way, interestingly, you're, you're describing um, uh, kind of like the Hindu creation story. I mean, you know, that's what... Um, um, okay, now my dog is going to start barking. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's this idea of that, that, that there was a there, there was a god, right? Uh, who who was all there was, and he he suddenly had the thought he had a, he had actually a thought of fear, and he was like, "What do I fear? I'm all there is." And the moment he did that, we got this idea of duality, and now we have everything replicating out into all the different forms that are in the universe, all emanating from him. And he becomes kind of the cosmic dreamer of this dream. You know, this is all metaphor in Hinduism where they talk about this. You know, Brahma is dreaming the, I'm sorry, uh, Vishnu is dreaming the cosmic dream. And, and you know, all of this is kind of happening in his dream, sort of, you know. And, and, and in a way, what you're talking about is that, is, is that it's this consciousness going out and filling these other forms up to understand all the different varieties and ways that that life can be in a way, you know, in, in all these different forms and, and trying to maximize the potential there. And, you know, that could be something that we're seeing happen potentially. Yeah. And, and I guess that's comforting in some ways it, it, because it means that the world, the universe is not necessarily evil and out to just get us. It's just a giant learning machine trying to understand itself. And, and when you look and that, at and that this life is a mechanism, this whole what we know here is that this is the mechanism it's using to do that. Right, right. When you look at it that way, even the scariest of things doesn't become as scary anymore. When you realize, mm-hmm. or when you think, we're all just here to learn to understand what what the heck am I? And if you can fragment yourself into multiple little tiny parts to have different experiences every experience possible it would explain why such horrible things happen because you're trying to understand every aspect of yourself you know may i share something when it take a minute sure so I, I know we're kind of probably getting close to time but um 25 years ago you, some of you probably have heard of neil i know dennis if you've heard of neil donald walsh or not he wrote the books conversation with conversations with god they were really popular back in the 90s uh-huh. and i and i went and saw him speak um <clears throat> back in the nineties around that time when he was, he was quite popular and he ended his talk that night on something that really struck me. And I've always remembered this story. So he was talking about that, 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 you know, all the little souls were kind of around one day and, and, and God's like came to them and said, Hey, I've I've got a mission. I need to send one of you on. And basically it was to come here. And and I know this is going to be something they don't like this. I mean, I found it really intriguing. I need someone to go and be this <clears throat> this Hitler character, you know, go down there and volunteer to be that that this awful evil person who has completely lost all sense of who he really is and and what he is really about. And I need someone to volunteer to do that. So this one little soul in the back raises his hand and says, "Well, I'll do it, but only if you all the rest of you promise that when I have forgotten who I am, you'll remind me who I really am." Right. And and I think there's this this, this idea that and and, and God would have gone through this whole thing about how as negative as this is, it's going to bring about good because of it. Good things will come out of the fact that this happens, even though this is going to be bad and in in the immediate time, um, you know, good things will come out of it. And and I, I kind of think about things that way. You know, we we when we see these negative things in the world, I mean, it may be that we've signed up for missions. Because we, because if if we are this mechanism we're talking about that's trying to experience everything, 
our, our conception of good and bad is pretty narrow, right? We, yeah. we, we think of things as good or bad, but if, if you look at it from this cosmic level of trying to experience everything, then everything becomes part of the experience. And I know that's a very uh, hippy kind of uh, concept for a lot of people. But I mean, if you just think of this, this cosmic mechanism trying to just, just get every ounce of everything that's possible to, to experience out, you have to experience all of it, right? And so someone has to sign up to go take those bad roles and, and play that role here, right? And kind of the strutting across the stage and being that, but then at some point we're recognizing, remembering who we really are behind the scenes. And, and that, that, I know that can be a, a, a tough pill to swallow um, for a lot of people. And, and again, it, that ties into, I remember what you and I were talking before the show and I was talking about, you know, I, I didn't want somebody to tell me when my dad died that it was part of God's plan. And I was like, God, I don't want to hear that because mm-hmm. you know, his plan sucks. Um, and, and that I think is, is kind of like just a dismissive statement to say sometimes, but it, what you said bears resemblance to that, but it, it's, I think in a slightly different light. Again, you're looking at something much bigger than us. I mean, it's a matter of, good and evil is a matter of perspective. You know, to my kids, I'm I'm this great guy. I'm this hero. To my dog, I'm I'm a member of the family. But to chickens, I'm this horrible, ghoulish being that eats them. You know, exactly. And you're the same person in all cases, right? It's just yeah. perception that's changed the reality of it. Exactly. So now, yeah. someone would say, now, now, someone might argue, right, that well, you you can't make that kind of argument with Hitler. I mean, obviously, Hitler was, you know, and and yeah, but but again, I think it's hard to evaluate. If you're talking about that kind of a model of the universe, if there if there's a reality to that, it's hard to take any one thing out of that and say, well, that is so horrible. Not understanding the ripple effects. I mean, think of all the when when something bad happens in our lives, even or we or something bad happens. A lot of times, like a, a disaster, a hurricane hits, right? That brings up it's a horrible thing, but it brings out a lot of good in people too. It does, you know. So there's. There's positive aspects to that. You can't just look at things kind of out of context by themselves. You have to look at the bigger picture. And in, in, in a cosmic picture like that, it would be almost impossible for little monads of, of, of individuals like ourselves to really see what the good is in the whole thing, right? So, just it would be a cost of doing business from the larger scale, from the larger percent of, you know, perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I read a story a while ago. I'm sure I've talked about it, but it was uh, the premise of it was somebody died and they went to whatever was next and they encountered this being and uh, the being explained to him, you know, you're going to go back again and this time you're going to be living this type of life. And he says, why do I have to go back again? They say, well, you, you keep going back, go back every time because you are everything that has ever existed in this universe. You were Hitler and you were the Jews that were, that were slaughtered. Um, you know, you're, you're the frog and you're the fly and you're, and when you think like that hurt my head to think about like, oh my gosh, what if we come back that many times where like I'm Ray Davis, you know, I'm Dennis Nappy. I'm, I'm, I'm everything. I'm the chicken that I had for dinner. I mean, that's a a wild lesson to learn in, in existence to prepare you for whatever's next. Well, here's something that will blow your mind. I wrote an article about this a couple of years ago, I think it's on Six Sense Media, about how reincarnate, if you believe in reincarnation, that has to change your view of, of the way you see the world. And, and the reason being, 
So imagine today, I remember reading a couple of years ago <clears throat> around Thanksgiving, there are a lot of Native American groups, you know, they don't like Thanksgiving because they see it as, you know, kind of right. celebrating the colonialism and all that kind of thing. But if you believe in reincarnation, there's a possibility that the white person that they're upset with for celebrating that right now could have been one of the actual Native Americans who was being oppressed at that time. And the Native American person who's criticizing that now could have actually been one of the, the, the colonists That's right. being the oppressor at that time. And, and the point being, we've probably, if we've lived a bunch of lives, we've been everybody. Yeah. We've been prince and pauper. We've been male, female, all colors, all races, all religions, all everything. And it, and it becomes a lot harder to judge and be, you know, um, judgmental to others when you think about it that way, because we've all done all of it, you know. That's, that's an excellent point. I, I never thought about it from the perspective of, of uh, Native Americans, but you're absolutely right. You know, right now, as David Icke says, we're just in these spacesuits that happen to be different colors, but inside, we, you know, we have these souls, and they're, and they're very different uh, than, than I think what we understand them to be, and we could have come back multiple times, uh, and it does, it does change your perspective. I'm going to think on that for a while. It was a, a great point, Ray. We're, uh, we're just about at the, at the end of our time here, Ray. I know uh, we, we kind of went all over the place, which is what we, we kind of expected to happen anyway. <laughs> It's been a while since we've been able to do this, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Do you have anything that you'd I like, to, uh, like to, to plug or say or any final thoughts for listeners out there? Just this, and you know, I always try to end on something positive because I know we're talking about a lot of heavy stuff again, but you know, just, just guys, focus. We all have to do this, and believe me, I am... When I write stuff about positivity and, and positive thinking and mindset, I am writing to myself first and foremost. It's not because I'm some kind of a guru and I've got it all figured out. I, I need it as badly as everyone else every day, but I, I have a gift for sharing it, and so I do. But we got to think about the mindset and the, and the energy that we're putting out on this planet. And we got to think about what is beneficial for all of us and what is not beneficial for all of us. And I know that's a kind of a big picture thing when we're all trying to get our jobs done every day and make a living and do all these sorts of things. But we really got to get more conscious about the, the, the energy and the, the objectives we have for this planet and not let ourselves get drawn into some of these negative narratives. And I just would leave you with that tonight. I just, I think it's a very positive thing to take kind of control of your own thinking and to the extent that you can affect other people by example or whatever, show them that there's a different way to think about things. Because um, that's what's going to change the world. Be that change, right? That was an excellent. Uh, Be that change, as you say every week. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> that's right. I'm getting ready to say it in a minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that speaks to uh, if you haven't checked out Ray's uh, affirmations, now's the time to do it. Um, you know, he, we're not just talking the talk. This is something that Ray does every day, and uh, you hear how positive he is in the face of everything that we cover and, and talk about. And I think that that's because he, he has that mindset and something we can all acquire. We can shift our focus just, just enough where we can navigate this, these scary things in a way that uh, we can still find some healing and some hope. So Ray, why don't you give your websites one more time for us? Uh, affirmationspot.net and um, of course, six that's media.net, which I know you'll plug there soon. And then if, if you're interested in the blog, particularly it's affirmationspot.me. And of course, uh, your book, Anunnaki Awakening, book one, they can find that at sixcentsmedia.net, and it's also available on Amazon. Well worth, uh, well worth the time to read. And we're anxiously awaiting book two, Ray. So uh, keep us posted on that. 
exactly are. As soon as we hit to Kansas, I'm going to get going on that again. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep the pressure on you because I'm, I'm waiting to see what happens next. <laughs> Okay, we are we are out of time, my friends, truth seekers out there. So I'm going to thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you to Ray for coming on the show. I am Dennis Nappy II. This has been yet another episode of The Secret Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning and keep an open mind. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.